Well, every presidential election cycle, it seems that there is what I call a pet topic. I remember many, many years ago, the pet topic was the flat tax. If you're under 30, you might not know who, what that is. Uh, there was a candidate who was winning the Republican nomination for president, Steve Forbes, and he was promoting this idea that we needed a flat tax in our society, that it's just one flat tax rate. And so if you make a little less, you pay a little less. If you make more, you pay more. And that year, everyone was talking about it. Even after Steve Forbes had to drop out of the race, there was still conversation about the flat tax. But about four years later, no one talked about the flat tax. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like, you know, the balanced budget. Another year, it's education. Another year, it was abortion. Not too long ago, it was gay marriage. And lo and behold, this year, no surprise, it's racism and the coronavirus. Now, don't mishear me. These pet topics are very, very, very important. They need discussed. They need debated. They, they need decisions made about them. But there's a problem with these pet topics, is that we treat them like fads. We, we begin to talk about it, we'll have strong opinions, we'll talk about ad nauseum, but then eventually we just move on. I'll talk about some of the dangers of that here in just a moment, but I want to point out that this isn't just an election thing. This is also a news thing. Like, just watch TV, read the newspaper. I mean, they'll report on something for several days in a row, but then they just, they move on. Check out your social media feed. All you have to do is get on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, look at your feed. People will talk about an issue nonstop for about 4.3 seconds, and then they're on to the next pet topic. But this isn't just an election thing or a news thing or a social media thing. It sometimes, unfortunately, becomes a church thing. I've been in full-time ministry now for over 25 years, and I have watched the church go from spirit-led to seeker-sensitive to purpose-driven to missional to incarnational. I've heard churches fight and argue about building size, clothing style, music styles, what translation of the Bible to use. And we'll get, talk all about this pet topic, and then the church will just move on. And there's some dangers in this. One of the first dangers is that when you get onto a pet topic, but then you move on, sometimes you haven't resolved the first pet topic. But what happens is when you move on and the conversation goes somewhere else, if someone tries to bring you back to this, to go, hey guys, we haven't completed this, there's this feeling of, but we've already talked about it. And so nothing actually gets accomplished. We just simply keep moving on to the next subject and begin to debate it. But then there's another problem that oftentimes these pet topics drive division. Too often, people will have such a strong opinion on their pet topic that they stop, to, they stop listening. All they do is yell, and they even go so far as to actually begin to demonize someone else who doesn't exactly agree with them. Because you see, what drives these pet topics is selfishness. I think Burger King absolutely nailed it with their advertisement of several years ago. We do it your way. And so if Burger King can do it my way, then my politicians should do it my way. My social media should see it the same way I see it. And my church should do it my way. So if I like rock music, I want my church to have worship led by guitars. 
If, if I think jeans are what's acceptable, then I won't see my pastor wearing jeans in my church. If I think the King James Version of the Bible is the best, then he better preach from the KJV. And if I got saved in a church with red carpet and red pews, then my current church had better have red carpet and red pews. And I would just like to say thank you to the design team for not picking red carpet and red pews. <laughs> you know, I, I think America's motto should not be in God we trust. It almost seems like America's motto should be, it's all about me. Because we see that in our political cycle, in our social media feeds, and even in our church. But it goes even deeper. This desire for my way, it, it slips into our reading of the scriptures. And, and as we approach the Bible, sometimes we're not approaching it of, well, let me learn about God. We approach it of, what does God say about me? What, what does it have for me? And don't, again, don't mishear me. I believe there are things in here that are about you. I do think God has things in here for you. But too often we bring that lens to everything in the scripture and it actually has devastating consequences. It actually keeps us in something shallower and we miss the bigger picture. Today's passage is a ripe example. Today we're gonna come back to the book of Mark. We're gonna be in chapter four and we're gonna hear a parable. And I believe you're going to want to read it through the lens of me. And I have a couple reasons suspecting why you're going to do that. One of those reasons is because it's what I did. Last week, as I began to prepare to come off sabbatical, to come back here to Riverwood to get to be and to teach again, I opened it up. I looked at my list. What am I going to be preaching? Oh, there it is. I, I opened it up. I know exactly what I'm going to do. But if I had run that route... I would have missed something much bigger, much deeper, and far more important than just me. And so today, I want to help you avoid the same mistake. I want to help call you to something bigger. Because I believe that what we're going to hear today will help us be the type of church that God dreams for us to be. The type of church he's calling us to be. And that's why today, I have to take it beyond just, here's what it says for you. To take it to a place of, well, here's what it says about God and what he desires for us. And I hope you'll walk out of here far more inspired than just having some little nugget for yourself. So as we get ready to go to the scriptures, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, uh, I just want to say thank you again for the time of rest, for the things that you did in my heart, and for now allowing me to come back. But God, I realize that even in my excitement, it is possible that I will miss something. And so, God, I pray that you will supersede my preparation, that you will speak to the hearts and minds of everyone who is connecting with this, whether they're right here at Droste Hall at the fairgrounds or they're connecting with us online or they're watching this at a later date, that you would speak clearly to us because I believe you have something far greater for us than us just take a passage and try and twist it to make it about me. So, God, help us to hear what you want to say this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. If you're at home, I encourage you to do what everyone here is doing, pulling out their smartphones, pulling out their, their paper Bibles. You have an advantage. You could also pull out the Bible tab that's right there uh, in the uh, online platform. 
I want everyone to, to connect with it. If you don't have anything, don't worry about it. I'm going to have the scripture up on the screen, but I really love it when you get it right there in your own hands because what I want is for you to go and look at this later today or tomorrow or this week. I want to help build in this habit of opening up the Bible so that whether it's on your phone or with your paper Bible, you're just used to this practice of opening it up and becoming more and more comfortable with it. So we're going to be in Mark chapter uh, four. Uh, over my uh, break, uh, I read a lot of fiction books. Uh, I think I uh, shared with a few people that uh, the Waverly Library program was doing a Bible, I mean, not a Bible reading program. Uh, that would be really hilarious if our library did that. Just a reading program. Uh, they had, you know, they always do it for kids, but I found out they had one for adults. And so because I like to read and hadn't been reading like I used to, I thought, I'm going to do this. I read, I think, like 22 books uh, or something uh, during the program. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. And I haven't read that much fiction since I was probably nine. Uh, it, was, it was wonderful. I can recommend all sorts of great fiction books for you. Uh, but in the, the break, I didn't just read. I also kind of had this personal project I wanted to work on. Uh, as you've heard through my teaching here at Riverwood, I've become really passionate about the gospel. And uh, this past year, I had a moment where I was uh, helping a, a couple and I found myself realizing, like, they were Christians, but it felt like they didn't really know the gospel. It's like they knew about Jesus dying on a cross, but they didn't know that it affected their marriage. I, I've talked to all sorts of people that they don't realize that the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection changes the way we approach work. It's kind of the series that we did all in 2019, the Everyday Gospel series. We looked at relationships back in February, and we did a money edition, a life edition, the self edition. And so I just thought, I want to tease that out more. And so I began working on this podcast. I didn't get nearly as far into it as I had wanted to, but I, I really look forward to sharing it with you guys later. Um, I, I've written probably half the episodes that I want, and um, we'll eventually start recording them. And, and once I start uh, putting it out, we'll, we'll let you guys know. But in that process of, of trying to understand the gospel, it started helping me see, like, this is what we as a church have been called to. And it didn't feel like God was saying, Aaron, now I want you to go in this new direction. It felt like during my sabbatical, God saying, Aaron, you're going the right direction. Just keep going. Keep plumbing deeper. And some of that is now going to slip out here today. Because I, I just, in God's providence, as I, had, you know, last November had laid out the preaching calendar for 2020, this was assigned for this day. And so as I start pouring through it, I realized some of what I was learning over my sabbatical, it's, it's right here in Mark 4, 26 through 29. And so I, I want you to see it for yourself. So join me. Let me read aloud as you read silently along Mark 4, 26 through 29. And he, Jesus, said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, a few months ago, which probably feels more like several years ago, uh, as we came to Easter Sunday, we could not gather together. And so uh, Caden Badura and I went out and we filmed uh, the, the sermon into a short film. Some of you saw it. We called it the, the Four Chairs. And in that, we looked at the parable of the soils, which was chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. If you're not familiar with it, it's this parable about Jesus saying there's this seed that goes into these four different soil types, and he talks about the growth or the lack of growth of that seed there. Well, as we come to 26 through 29, it sounds very, very similar. We've got some seed, we've got some soil, we've got a plant growing. And so it's very easy to come to the same conclusion as the previous parable. 
And so what I want to do is I want to go back and I want to look at the parable of the soils just really briefly because I think it's going to help us see the mistake that we might make about today's passage. All right, so the parable of the soils starts off chapter 4. Uh, Jesus is, is telling about the seed that gets into these four soil types. The first soil type is this hard soil. Uh, Jesus later, oh, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. The four soil types are a hard soil. Then there was rocky soil that the seed got in, but because there's rocks under the surface, the roots couldn't go deep. So as soon as the sun came out, the plant shriveled up. The third type of soil was uh, thorny soil. The, the, plant, the, the seed was able to put down roots and grow, but there were these thorns that choked out the plant. And so the plant just couldn't produce any fruit, any crop. And then the last soil type was the good soil, where the, the seed took deep root and grew a great plant, and, and Jesus said it produces 30, 60, or 100 fold. Well, Jesus' disciples were a little embarrassed. They, they didn't quite understand what he was getting at. So they privately asked him, hey, what, what does this mean? And so Jesus explains that they are the farmers who go out and scatter the seed. And the seed is the gospel, the word of God. And as they share the word of God with people, there will be some people who will be like that hard soil. They'll reject it. They will not receive the seed into the, their life. There'll be others who they're like the rocky soil. There's some soil there, so they'll receive it. But, but then as soon as life gets hard, as soon as the sun comes out, their faith just kind of shrivels up and dies. Then there's those who are like thorny soil. The, the, the seed gets in, it takes root, they believe, but, but there's no reproduction. There aren't people who come to understand this gospel. And then there's the good soil. People who receive the gospel, it takes deep root in their life, and they share their faith, and you see more people, more Jesus followers made through their life. There's, there's this reproduction, there's a crop. Well, as we looked at that passage in, in the short film, I, I asked you, so what rocks or thorns are in your life that are keeping you from being good soil? I, I felt like that was a very appropriate application because I believe that God wants the, his seed, his gospel to get into your life, to take deep root, but also to produce great fruit. But too often we allow these things in our life that, that as soon as things get hard, our faith just kind of shrivels up and dies and goes dormant. Or we're a good Christian, we go to church, we, we, we you know, listen to the Christian radio, we, you know, we might do all these things, but there's just no reproduction, there's no crop, there's no fruit from our lives. And so it was kind of a personal message. We looked at it of, okay, so what rocks, what thorns do I need removed out of my life so I can become good soil and see God accomplish in my life what he desires for me? And so last week as I opened up to chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, I saw a parable about seed about soil, about this plant growing. And I just began to run towards the natural conclusion, the same as before. This is about our spiritual growth. And so I began to prepare in my head a very similar message for you. But before I began typing on my computer, working, working this out, I thought, you know, let me just go and consult some commentaries just to, you know, confirm that what I want to say. So I, I opened them up and I discovered in a rare moment Almost all of the commentaries agreed. And they all said something similar like this. Most people want to interpret verses 26 through 29 in a personal way, make it about their own personal spiritual growth. But to do so is a mistake. All right, that, that made me pause. And I realized, okay, I'm missing something here. What am I missing? Because if this isn't about me, if it isn't about you, What's it actually about? Well, it was right in front of me the whole time. Look at it. Verse 26. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man goes out to plant seed. It's about the kingdom of God. 
this is Jesus's pet topic. And unlike us, he doesn't start with the kingdom of God and flit off to these other things. He continues to drive this message home. Mark introduced us to Jesus's pet topic all the way back in chapter one. You might remember, I think it was about the fourth sermon in this series. It was chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Mark very strategically did not let us hear from Jesus until after his temptation and his time in the wilderness. Jesus comes out of the wilderness after fasting for 40 days, and he begins to travel around preaching a message. And so the first words we hear from Jesus are repent and believe in the gospel. And why did people need to repent? Because Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus' message was about the kingdom of God. But that makes us have to pause and ask, okay, so what is the kingdom of God? Well, we looked at it in that message. And so let me just do a quick recap. The kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom, first and foremost. Jesus, being the eternal son of God, knew that the earthly kingdoms rise and fall. And so what the the people needed at his time wasn't for him to show up and overthrow the Roman Empire because another empire would just come along, another kingdom would get established. No, the kingdom that needed overthrown was in the spiritual kingdom. It was the, the spiritual kingdom of sin. Ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, uh, sin had been reigning in the spiritual kingdom. It had stolen it away from God. God created everything, and sin infected it, made it all sick and twisted. And Jesus came to claim it back. And to do so, he went to a cross to pay the penalty. The penalty of sin was death. Jesus, the sinless son of God, took on the penalty that was due to us sinners, And by doing so, he absorbed that wrath of God against sin so that we could be forgiven, we could be set free, and by repenting and believing in this gospel, we could enter into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is getting at. So now, with that in mind, realizing that Mark 4, 26-29 is not about me first and foremost, it's about God's kingdom, let's look at it again. And Jesus said, "'The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground.'" He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Any of you see the the, uh, ESPN documentary, The Last Dance? Anyone here? Okay, I see a couple of hands. Um, I did not watch it, but um, I heard it was uh, actually a, a documentary about Scottie Pippen, a uh, longtime uh, uh, Chicago Bull teammate for Michael Jordan. All right, now, those of you who raised your hands, you're going, uh, Aaron, <laughs> you're mistaken. It's about Michael Jordan. And you're exactly right. It is a documentary about Michael Jordan. When we try to make this parable about us, it's like trying to take a Michael Jordan documentary and make it about Scottie Pippen. It doesn't work. But when we pause and realize God's not just talking about me and my own spiritual growth, he's talking about his kingdom, now we begin to see and understand. The man, this farmer, he scatters the seed on the ground. The seed is the same seed as the previous. It's the gospel. It's the word of God. But now, instead of talking about the seed and the soil, notice who Jesus continues to talk about. The farmer. He says that this farmer sleeps and rises night and day. And while he does that, the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. In other words, Jesus is trying to make the point that these farmers go out and plant the seed, 
but they don't have to get up in the middle of the night and remind the seed to start growing. I mean, they may go out and water, they may put some fertilizer on it, but they can't stomp on the ground and say, start growing! Come on, plants! Yeah, you laugh because it's absolutely ridiculous because the seed does it on its own. They don't understand how it happens. It just does. And Jesus says that is much like the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is controlled by God. He is the king of his own kingdom. And so he leads and controls and expands it and grows it as he sees fit. But there's a part that we play in that. The Apostle Paul uh, uses this illustration in one of his letters. Uh, he, he was writing to this church in the ancient city of Corinth. Uh, the church was an absolute mess. If you're familiar with the, the, the books of First and Second Corinthians, you see all these issues that Paul talks about. One of the issues that he addresses in First Corinthians is this idea of divisions. Everyone had their own pet topic, except their pet topics were the type of people that they loved to follow. Uh, some of the people there in Corinth, they, they found Jesus, the gospel, through Paul. So they say, I follow Paul. But there are others who like this guy, Apollos. Maybe Apollos was better looking. Maybe he was a better speaker than Paul. Maybe he just was younger and cooler. But they, they said, we follow Apollos. There are others, though, who said, well, no, we follow Peter, Cephas. Because Peter, like, hung out with Jesus all the time. So if we're going to follow anyone, it's Peter. I mean, he was the head of the church for a while. So Peter's the, the guy. And then, of course, you have your super spiritual people who are going, well, we follow Jesus. And, and Paul writes to them and goes, guys, this is ridiculous. Because he knows that division within a church slows down and even mutes the mission. So he writes them to say, uh, guys, may I remind you, I did not die on a cross for your sins. Apollos did not rise again from the dead. You follow Jesus. But then he continues on this way, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. See, Paul knows Jesus' uh, illustration, the parable. And he knows that in the parable, he's the farmer. He planted. God chose to send Apollos, to send Peter, to encourage the Corinthians. They watered, they put some fertilizer on it, they taught them, they discipled them. But Paul, Apollos, Peter, none of them caused the growth. Only God can do that. And that's Jesus' point. Is this passage is not about you. It's about what God can accomplish. And so I, I think what it causes us to have to do is to push pause and say, okay, so if this passage isn't about just me and my own personal spiritual growth, what is it about? Well, if it's about God's kingdom... It means the kingdom needs to be first and foremost in our life, not just our own pet topics. That if we claim to be Jesus followers, if Jesus really is the king of our lives, if we're now in his kingdom, we need to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. And so we need to be passionate about the kingdom. But you are in this passage. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are here. It's just, it's not, you're not found in the seed and the growing uh, plant. You're the farmer. If you say, I follow Jesus, if you have confessed that Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have repented and believed in this gospel, you are the farmer. And now you need to take on a similar role as Paul and Apollos and Peter. You need to go out and plant the gospel. 
You need to water it. Now, there's good news in this. You're not responsible whether someone accepts or rejects. Now, yes, I, I realize that you could be a jerk. You could yell in someone's face and, and by doing so, harden their heart and the seed can't get in. But if you water with love, if, if you, uh, you know, put the fertilizer of care and, and, and presence there, you will plant the seed of the gospel. And you need to realize sharing Jesus is not relegated to the professionals, to the pastors, the missionaries. It's not just for people who have the, a spiritual gift of evangelism. No, Jesus' command is to all of his followers. If you follow Jesus, Jesus' last words were, go and make disciples. That's what you have to do. You are the farmer. You are to share the gospel. You are to share it through your words. You're to share it through your presence. You're to share it through your actions. You're to share it with love and grace and forgiveness and kindness and faithfulness gentleness, but you are to share the gospel. There's a second thing that I take from this parable. As a pastor, this one's important to me. It means that we as a church cannot force spiritual growth. I mean, I I want to. I'd love to see all of you have this deep, vibrant faith in Christ, but I, I can't make it happen. It's you having to say, yes, I want to get into a growth group. Yes, I'm going to, when I show up on Sunday, I'm not just going to listen to the songs. I'm going to engage, not just with my mind, but my heart. That that when I'm on my own, I'm going to actually pull out the Bible and spend time reading it. I'm not just going to talk the talk. I'm going to actually live it out. It also means we can't force people in our community to understand the gospel. Yes, we can get our building looking as nice as we possibly can. That's not going to make someone believe in Jesus. I mean, we we can serve the best coffee in the world. It's not going to help someone get into the scriptures. We can have the greatest music the church has ever heard, and we still can't force people. People can still show up, just enjoy the music, and walk out not changed. What we have to do is just love people, pour grace upon them, because what people need is Christ. And what, what did Christ do for us? He died for us. He gave his life for us. And so if he does that for us, we need to give our lives for others. We need to shower them with love, with grace, with forgiveness, and just be there for them. We can't make them accept the gospel, but we can let them see what the gospel looks like. And then the third thing I take from this passage is that If you're not a follower of Jesus, then you can't be the farmer. You need to focus on that seed. Because I believe that what you need is Christ. You see, we live in a really messed up world right now. I'm pretty sure all of you know that. With the racial tensions, like, haven't been seen in 50, 60 years with the coronavirus raging around, the the arguments about masks, what's happening in our culture, people are on their pet topics. And they're yelling, no one's listening, and people are getting hurt. And what they need is to know that there is a God who loves them, who died for them, and he wants them to repent and believe. If you don't know this gospel 
Will you let today be your spiritual birthday? Will you repent and believe? Will you place your faith, your story, your identity in this story of Jesus going to a cross to die for your sins, but to rise again from the dead, to show he had authority over death itself? Will you give your life? Because if you do, if you surrender your life, confess your sin, repent, come and put your faith in Jesus, now you become the farmer. And you can go and be that blessing that this world needs. So I'm not going to present you a gospel that says, oh, if you put your faith in this, everything will be better. Because I believe the gospel is bigger than just you. Your pet topic your entire life has been yourself. I'm calling you to something bigger. I want your pet topic to be Jesus. I want everything about you to resonate with the gospel. Because I believe that is where you will find your greatest joy because that's where you will give the greatest glory to God. So really, I think this passage, this parable, it really isn't just about this seed. It's really about surrender. If you follow Jesus, will you go and scatter the love of God? Will you just lavish grace upon people? Because right now, the way our world is, we need this more than ever before. So don't cheat yourself by looking at this passage of what is this saying about me and my own growth? Instead, may this be a compulsion to go and be a blessing because there's a world out there that needs the gospel seed planted in their life and it will make all the difference. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move us to do such a thing that we would not try to take the scriptures and make it just about ourselves, but that we would realize that there is a hurting world out there that needs you. And so God, I pray that you would move in us, you'd move through us, and you would move in the lives and hearts of others. Heavenly Father, I pray for the person right now that is listening to us, whether they're, they're right here in Drosty Hall or they're joining us online, and they have never surrendered their life to you. I pray that right now, that they would confess their sin, that they would repent of their selfishness, and that they would believe, put their faith completely upon Jesus and his work through the cross and the empty grave. And Lord, as they do that, may they have a sense of your presence, realizing that they are now redeemed, they are now reconciled, that everything on the spiritual level changes. They have now left the, spirit of the, the kingdom of darkness and they've now come into the kingdom of God. That they are no longer a spiritual orphan. They are now adopted. They're your son. They're your daughter. That this would make all the difference in the world. And as they realize their new identity found in Christ, it would change the way they go to work. It would change the way they interact with the kids in the neighborhood. It would change the way they, they do marriage, the way they do parenting, the way they interact with their families. Because God, I believe this is your pet topic. So I pray you'd help all of us to have a heart that beats in sync with your heart. That what matters to you is what matters to us. And God, I believe that the people on this earth matter to you. So may you make us instruments of peace, instruments of love, instruments of, of mercy, and that we would bring that love to the world around us. So God, help us to surrender. Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to become more like him. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.